I tell you what, for, uh, for me, it's been kind of a tough week uh, with my basketball teams on Monday. Uh, Amy and I graduated from Belmont. Belmont played Vanderbilt, first round NIT, so I ran my mouth a little bit to Pastor Greg, who's a Vanderbilt graduate. I said, let's just, let's just friendly wager. I know a pastor shouldn't do that, but I said, I'll, I'll wear some Vanderbilt swag if you wear, you know, Belmont swag day, you know, whoever wins. And so um, I got out of a, a meeting. I wasn't able to see the game. I just, when I checked my phone after I was done, he just said, uh, what size do you wear? And uh, so that was, that was bad. So Thursday night, uh, I preached Thursday night in a Vanderbilt little half set. First time I've ever worn anything, any Vanderbilt gear. It, it was amazing, though. I felt super intellectual. So smart. It was, I, I'm thinking about switching over. Then I have a friend who gave me, it's a pretty, I know it doesn't, just look, hear me out, a, a pretty sweet orange blazer. I'm a huge Tennessee fan. Uh, I, I know, it, it's nice. It's tastefully done. And uh, he said, you know, whenever Tennessee beats Alabama, that's Sunday after that, I want you to wear this. And I said, I'll do it. It's been in my closet for 15 years, and I, I don't know that I'll ever wear it. So I changed the rules. I said, you know what, if we make it to the Sweet 16 in, uh, in, in the NCAA basketball tournament, I'm going to wear it. So I had it out. Yesterday afternoon, uh, you know, and, and had her ready to go, and uh, she's back in the closet again. So I don't, I don't know that you'll ever be blessed to see it. But anyhow, I, I'm glad you're here. We are finishing up the book of Joshua. We'll finish it up completely next week. But it's just uh, for me, I don't know about you, for me it's been really an important study. The book of Joshua really is about the comeback of courage in such a powerful way. And there's so many great principles. We've followed uh, Joshua's uh, life. And, and really, Joshua was a young man, a Hebrew, who was born in captivity in Egypt. It was through the promise of God with that tenth and final plague. He was the firstborn son, which tells us a lot that, that his life uh, would have been taken when the angel of death passed over, except for his parents being obedient to apply the blood of the lamb on the do- doorpost. So he, he is miraculously saved through the promise and the power of, of God. Uh, after that, he sees all the things that take place with the parting of the Red Sea, passes over. What an amazing thing. The angel of death passes over the Red Sea part. So he's seeing the movement and the power of God in a powerful way. He interns for Moses. He's second in command under Moses. How's that for a resume builder? He works for maybe one of the greatest leaders of all time. And then after Moses uh, dies, it is Joshua who takes over and leads the children of Israel into the promised land. After 600 years, God keeps his promise, and he's able to take them in. The Jordan River parts, he takes them in. He sees victory in battle after battle after battle. Even though the children of Israel were outnumbered, outmanned, he's this incredible leader. And then at the end of his life, which is where we're going to pick up today, Joshua, as a 110-year-old man, is going to lay out some great truths for the children of Israel to listen to so that they can stay in the land, so that they can continue to have an abundant life. And so it's going to be an important, important uh, for us to kind of lean into what Joshua has to say. But here's the problem. Maybe the hardest thing in life to do is to listen. Right? And, and in fact, I have to watch this clip about every six months because to me it's one of the funniest clips on the internet. And you, you may know he's a, it became an overnight internet sensation, uh, Matteo Beltran. He's a, a little uh, three-year-old little boy, and he and his mom get into it about a cupcake at grandmother's house, at his grandma's house. And so they kind of go back and forth a little bit. And so you'll, you'll know Matteo when you see this because I think everybody's probably seen this clip. But let's take a look at it because it kind of sheds some light on how difficult it is for us in our life to listen. Let's watch this. They can listen to me, listen to me. Like, like I do this all the time. And if I go out at the, at the house with the door, Matthew has his toys. And then Matthew has all his toys. Okay, 
But I have to yell at you guys. Okay, Linda, 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 listen, 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 Linda, listen. Okay, what? Like everything they do at this house, they can't trust everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? <laughs> then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. Linda, but listen to me. Look at if we do something, if you get that out, that birthday off, you're going to break it. Okay, but I'm asking, I'm letting you know but that you cannot, know, Linda, no, Linda, I'm, Linda, li lick it, lick it. you're not listening to me. Linda, listen to me now. Listen to me now. No, you're not listening. I said no cupcakes and you try to get cupcakes and you try to ask grandma. But Linda, honey, honey, lick it, lick it, <laughs> That's my favorite line. Linda, honey. I mean, I kind of relate to, to him because he's at grandma's house and rules are different uh, there. Uh, but whether we're three or 73, listening's just hard, isn't it? I mean, we remember the time when you, you wanted, guys, when you wanted to date the girl and five of your buddies said, she's trouble, and you said, I got this, and you wish you'd have listened. Ladies, same thing is true. You wanted to date the guy, five of your best friends said, no way, he's trouble. You didn't listen, but you wish you had. Remember the time you wanted to get your first car and your granddad said, you know what, why don't you just wait, save up, pay cash for that first car, and you laughed and you didn't do that. Three payments in, you wished you'd listen to your granddad. Remember that person that said, don't ever make a quick decision when you're angry. You didn't listen to that and it's cost you some stuff. You see, the thing about listening is we all have regrets over times when someone spoke some truth into our life and we didn't really take it serious enough to apply it and we wish we could go back and kind of have a do-over because learning to listen is one of the hardest things in life. And so today for the next, I don't want to pin myself in here, 30 minutes, Masaminas, um, we're going to listen to a man under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who's 110 years old, who has seen more movements of God than probably any of us will ever come close to seeing, who has seen victory after victory after victory, and he says, hey, my life is over. Let me just summarize in seven things that I want you to listen to so that you can really Take hold of all that God has for you. And what Joshua said some 3,000 years ago to a little over 2 million Hebrews is still true today. But the real issue is, are you going to listen? Am I going to listen? Here we go, Joshua chapter 23. Those of you who are watching online, we're glad to have you this morning. Starting in verse 1, after a long time had passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all of their enemies around them. Now, this is important because the children of Israel come into the land and they defeat all the nations that are there. In other words, they break the authority and the power of those nations that are there so they can come in and take possession of the land. But not all of these pagan nations, not all of the people Leave. That's going to be an important thing. After a long time had passed, the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. Joshua, by then a very old man, about 110 years old, verse 2, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I'm very old. Got that one. Verse 3, you yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. He's reminding them of the power of God that they have experienced up against 
unbelievable odds. He said, it was the Lord your God who fought for you. Don't ever think it was you who did this. Always remember. In fact, that's how he starts verse 4. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain. In other words, you got a piece of the pie. You came into the land. We drove out all the nations in the land, and then you got an allotment. You got a possession of the land. The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the west. Let's stop and let's Let's listen. In the first four verses, I think here's the first thing that Joshua says at the end of his life. Right, when a guy who's at the end of his life seeing all that Joshua had seen, don't you want to lean in a little bit and listen to this guy? He says, first of all, he says, remembering is going to be the key to rest. If you're going to live in a state of spiritual rest where you're not just reacting and responding, that you're not just controlled by every circumstance and situations, that you've got some peace that just transcends what's going on around you, here's going to be the key. Remembering is going to be the key to rest. Remembering is really a spiritual discipline. In fact, the first thing the children of Israel did, the first thing that God asked them to do after they came into the land, as soon in Joshua chapter 4, as soon as they crossed over the Jordan River as it parted supernaturally, God had them go back and get 12 stones from the river and place them there at Gilgal, build an altar so they could remember the power of God. It's, it's an important thing. In fact, we said this several weeks ago, the greatest enemy of our faith may be forgetfulness. And that's what Joshua says, first of all, if you want to really take hold of all that God has for you, you've got to take seriously what it means to remember. C.S. Lewis said this. We looked at it several weeks ago. He said, people need to be reminded more than they need to be instructed. I think that's true. I need in in our own life, we need to look back and be reminded of the faithfulness of God in, in our life. Over 200 times in Scripture, we are commanded. It's an imperative in Scripture commanding us to remember. And what we see in the book of Joshua is remembering is active. It's not just some intellectual exercise where we bring some thoughts to our mind. We actually do something with it. That's why these stones of remembrance were so important. And so I, I was uh, teaching on this at, uh, at another church last week, and afterwards, it was uh, on Sunday night, a, a, a young mom and her husband, she came up to me. He was kind of standing back, and she said, Pastor Brady, I'm going to do it. And I was like, you're going to have to help me here, sister. I'm not sure. She's just smiling. She said, uh, I really liked what you, you had to say about remembering, and sometimes when we remember, we need to make a purchase to help us remember. And I, it began to come to me. What, what I had said, and I, I told you guys this, sometimes to remember, that might be we make a, a journal entry, right, to remember what God's done. You know, when God speaks to us, we write it in a journal. Or, or sometimes uh, in our life, we'd, maybe it's a Facebook post that we put out there, uh, take a picture just to remember something, or maybe even um, make a purchase. You know, you put something up on the wall. I have something in my office that reminds me of the faithfulness of God. She said, I'm going to make a purchase. She said, I, I've been thinking about it, but it's time for me to get the car. And she said, I, I know what I'm going to, she said, I, I'm going to put Joshua chapter 4 on the license plate just as a stone of remembrance. She showed me a picture. It was an infinity. It was nice, really nice. I don't think she needed to spend that much for remembrance. But anyway, so she was going to do something with it. Why is this? Remembering strengthens our relationship. When we remember the faithfulness of God, it strengthens our love relationship with God. In fact, when we remember in any relationship, just powerful and great times, it strengthens those relationships. Now, think about this. This is super important. Because all of us wrestle with fear, don't we? Everybody in this room, everybody watching online, we struggle with fear. 
There's political fear now with still what's going on in the Ukraine and with Russia. We've had medical fears with COVID. We have relational fears uh, in our life. We have financial fears, on and on. We have so, so, so much fear. We can really be controlled by, by fear. And here's what I think fear is. I think fear is looking into the future without remembering the faithfulness of God from the past. Anytime you project into the future without bringing with you the faithfulness of God from your past, you're always going to experience fear. But the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as I remember his faithfulness, it really begins to drive fear out, and I can live from a place of rest. And let me just tell you, that's where the good stuff is at. Let's look on. Verse 5. Here we go. Joshua 23, 5. We're going to see the second thing that Joshua says, hey, listen up. I'm about to exit stage left. I want you to remember this. I want you to do something with this. Verse 5, the Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. Push who out? Joshua, I thought we just came into land. I thought we destroyed all of our enemies. Where their power was broken, these nations, their authority was broken, and the children of Israel were able to move in and take possession of the land, but still many of these pagan people were still present in the land. And so he says, the Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God has promised. Now, now we said early on in this series, victory and possession are two separate things. There are many people in Christ that can have the victory of their sins being forgiven and know Christ, but not able to take hold of all that God has for them, not able to take possession of all that God has for them. And I want to tell you something today that is true in all of our lives. Could you lean into this? There is more spiritually than what you're living in right now. That's true for me, and that's true for you. And don't you want more? If God has more for you, don't you want more? I was hoping for more than three of you to say yeah to that. I think we all do, right, whether you said it or not. And this is going to be the key to having more. Here's the second thing that Joshua says. Listen, Linda. <laughs> Avoid unrealistic expectations. What Joshua is saying in verse 5 may seem a little confusing. Joshua said there's still going to be pockets of resistance. God is going to push these folks out. He's saying that possession of land is not going to be automatic. It's still going to be a fight. You're still going to have to trust God. You're still going to have to have courage. You're still going to, still going to be a battle for your faith. And, and I, I think most people spiritually, let me just say it this way, I think a lot of people spiritually aren't prepared for that. The moment a battle comes spiritually after they're born again, a moment a trial comes spiritually, or the moment a test comes spiritually, a, a bad diagnosis comes, a relationship's in, a moment some difficulty happens, the moment that you and I enter into a pocket of resistance, we begin to be disappointed with God because we had unrealistic expectations. That's what Joshua is saying. Now, watch what I'm saying. This is so important. I'm not saying that we just lower our expectations. To be a Christian means I, I'm just going to lower my expectations. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have to be prepared for the resistance that's going to be there in this fallen world. Does that make sense? That's a part of what it means to follow Christ. And as we trust him and work through that pocket of resistance, we can be closer and experience more of the power of God than we ever have before. So in our spiritual life, we have to be prepared for um, 
just some unexpected things, some difficult things. We can have unrealistic expectations in your spiritual life. Has that been ever true for you? That you just felt like, you know what, I just had unrealistic expectations spiritually, and it derailed me for a time period. I thought God didn't love me. I thought God had forgotten about me or forsaken me because I really believed that lie. I wasn't prepared for the pocket of resistance. But there can also be unrealistic ex- expectations in marriage. I see that all the time. I have, uh, I'll leave here today and go do a wedding. I, I say this and people get angry with me. I don't, I don't love doing weddings. Um, I, I understand they're important and everybody's excited about them. And it's not that I'm not for marriage. I'm for marriage. But nobody really listens in the wedding, right? It's like, get done, kiss the bride, we're out, right? It's, that, that's kind of, the, kind of the deal. But even in marriage counseling, I do a lot of marriage counseling and very few people, not the people, there's some of you who are here that I'm doing your marriage counseling right now. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about others, you know. They, they don't really listen. That's why I've started, saying, I've started saying this. Hey, if you want me to do your wedding, you got to commit that we'll do a checkup in six months. Because people listen six months in. Because you know what happens six months in? You're like, uh-oh. That's not what I thought. He is not who I thought he was, and she is not who I thought she was. And, man, it feels like we've kind of made a mistake here because we come into it with some unrealistic expectations. The expectation is I'm going to find somebody who's going to make me completely happy when really God is saying, you're going to find somebody, and I'm going to use them to make you holy if you'll let me. That's a whole different deal, right? See? It's different. We have unrealistic expectations in our career. That's why the average American is going to change jobs now about every three and a half years. I'm not saying it's wrong to, to, to change jobs, but after the fall, there's going to be some thorns and thistles in every bit of work that we do in this fallen world. And sometimes we just have some unrealistic expectations in that. We have unrealistic expectations in parenting, right? Because when they're four, five, six, seven, eight, you, you take them to school, they give you a kiss, they hug you four times before they get out of the car, and they turn 12, and you have to stop a mile away from the school and let them out. They wouldn't talk to you if you were choking, right? And you think, what just happened? Let's read on. Verse 6, Joshua's be strong, be very strong. And again, when Joshua's talking about strength, it's not about this innate strength that we have. It's not something that we are. It comes from knowing who, whose we are. Does that make sense? I'm strong because of who God is. I'm strong because who's at work within me. Be very strong. And then listen to what he says. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. And can I just ask you this? Wouldn't, if you were standing there listening to Joshua speak, a 110-year-old dude who has just been unbelievable in battle, God has given him victory after victory. I mean, this is an absolute stud, right? I mean, there is just nobody that I think about from sort of a military background in, spirit, in, in, in Scripture that's just more powerful and successful than maybe Joshua. And everybody's just leaning into what Joshua has to say because he's going to drop some wisdom on us. And Joshua says, be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. You know what Joshua says? Listen. He says, make sure that you see the truths found in Scripture, the commands found in Scripture. Make sure you see them as a matter of life and death, not just a good suggestion. 
Joshua says the key to the abundant life, the key to staying in this land is being careful to obey everything that God has commanded you. See the commandments of God as a matter of life and death. Can I just ask you this today? And if you want to check out and get on your phone for the next 20 or so minutes, I'll give you freedom to do that. I don't like it. Some of you have already been there anyway, so... Is that how you see the commandments found in Scripture as a matter of life and death? Or just as some good suggestions that you can kind of pick and choose on which one kind of fits you best? Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the right or to the left. Now, when Joshua says don't turn aside to the right or the left, he's talking about being focused on the commandments of Scripture. But I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Listen, I was standing out. People ask me questions about the book of Joshua. There's a lot of things. I don't fully understand everything there. I've learned the most freeing thing for me to say as a pastor is, I don't know. Right? Some of you are like, well, man, I need to go to another church. Well, he doesn't know either. <laughs> right? He may know more than me. Not when I'm in the Vanderbilt half zip. I want to say that, though, just, 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 just to be clear. You know, I mean, to think that we could fully understand the mind of God, that's kind of arrogant in one way, isn't it? But I think part of what he says when he says don't turn to the right or to the left is, is sometimes with the commands of Scripture, we turn to the right, meaning we get super legalistic and we say more than the Word of God says, right? We build fences around the law. I mean, church history is full of people who have done that, who've been super legalistic and said more than the law says. But then also... We have turned to the left, and we have said way less than the Word of God has said. We have given ourselves way more freedom in areas than God ever gave us in the Word. Does that make sense? And I think that's what Joshua is getting at in this passage. Verse 7, do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down, bow down to them. You see, they had to stay focused on the commands of Scripture. Part of what Joshua was saying is don't look to the left or to the right is there's all these pagan people who are out there who are, who are living life a different way, who are following a different set of rules, and you stay focused on what God's called you to. Don't let them set the climate for your life, you see. Stay focused. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God you have an, as you have until now. When he says hold fast, uh, that word can also be translated cleave. It's what we're going to see even in a, in, a, in, a, in a marriage ceremony today when a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. This is this kind of love relationship, he says, and this commitment that we have to our God. That's going to be the key. Look at the third thing that Joshua says. He said, remembering is the key to rest, right? Number two, he said, avoid unrealistic expectations. And then he says this. He says, compromise is always costly. That's what he's getting at. Compromise is always costly. Has that been true in your life? Compromise always starts slowly. That's just the way the, the enemy works. It's kind of like, how, how do you boil a frog? Do you put a frog in a boiling pot? No. Put him in lukewarm water and just continue to turn the heat up, right? You see, that's compromise. But that's not holding fast to the Lord. That's not cleaving to him in this love relationship. When he's saying this, hold fast to God, to cleave to God, he wants to see it as the church, as the bride of Jesus Christ. We are committed in this love relationship. Like in marriage, we are committed to the Lord in that, in that way, fully committed to him. Now, um, I asked this question Thursday night. I'll go ahead and ask it again. 
what would you say, what would you say about, about, about a husband who was 95% faithful to his wife? He's a cheater. Somebody said Thursday night, he's dead. That's how my wife would answer that, right? Dead. But think about that. I mean, in marriage, everyone would agree. Like, if you're 95% faithful, no bueno in marriage. You see that? That's no good, right? Nobody would agree. I mean, there's no husband that's going to go to his wife and say, you know what? 355 days of the year, I am yours. I'm going to need 10. No, you're going to need to leave. That's what you would say, right? Isn't that, can somebody nod? That's just easy, right? And that, this is what Joshua is saying, that this is how we are in, in this love relationship with, with the Father to be a faithful bride to the Lord. And compromise, think about it, compromise is always giving in to less than God has called you to. Now, can we just be honest today because all of us have done it and I've done it. There are things that I've allowed into my heart, into my life that 10 and 15 years ago I said, you know what, I I don't want that a part of my life at all. But compromise just happens so quick and so easy and just so subtly that we just begin to compromise our faith in just small ways. You see? And what does compromise do? Compromise always exposes us and makes us vulnerable. Didn't you find out that as a 10-year-old when you, when you lied and, and then all the work you had to do to cover your lie? It exposed you. It made you vulnerable. And that, that's what compromise does. And Joshua says, I don't want that for you. In fact, what Joshua is saying, he says, today's Canaanite, the pagans that are in the land, that you want to give yourself to some of their practices, if you compromise with today's Canaanite, it's going to be tomorrow's captivity. And that, that's sort of a mouthful, but that's exactly what happened with the children of Israel. They didn't stay in the land. They didn't listen to what Joshua said. They compromised little by little by little, and then they were taken captive again by their enemies. The Babylonians came in, drove them out of the land. They were exiled again. That's what compromise does. Compromise today means captivity in your life in the future. It happens every single time. Let's look at verse 9. Joshua said, the Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. Joshua is saying, when we came into this land, you you guys remember, you spied on the land. We were outnumbered. We were outmanned. We were underdogs. Every battle that we fought, uh, we were the visitors. They had the home court advantage in every single battle. There is no way we should have been victorious. The Lord has driven out before you uh, great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. Look at verse 10. Joshua says, one of you routes a thousand. What do you call that? When one soldier destroys a thousand, it's a miraculous, powerful work of God. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. Let's look at the fourth thing that Joshua said. And again, listening's hard. It's one of the toughest lessons in life to listen, right? What is Joshua saying? Remembering is going to be the key to rest. It's important to avoid unrealistic expectations. There's going to be some pockets of resistance in this journey. Number three, compromise in any way is always going to be costly. But watch this, number four. Here's what he says. When he says in verse 10, one of you routes a thousand, here's what Joshua's saying. Listen. He says, success is through surrender, not striving. 
Can I say that to you again? Joshua says, your success, he's talking to the Hebrews, but the same thing is true for us. He said, your success has always been through your surrender to God, your obedience to God, not through your striving, not through your effort, not by your own power, not because you have a great work ethic, not because you're super creative. It was through your surrender. Here's the truth of the matter. Listen, you and I will always in our lives accomplish more through obedience than effort. See, that that goes against everything we kind of know to be true, but that's what Joshua is trying to remind the children of Israel. You'll always accomplish more through obedience than effort. I get... uh, Anytime I use this illustration, I, I get restaurant owners in our church that, that text me, and I, I, I love all of you, and you don't get a body like this unless you eat at a lot of restaurants, so I love, love your restaurant, but it's kind of funny to me. This is just kind of the best example I noticed. It's kind of funny to me in, in fast food restaurants that there's been for the last couple of years, the, the, the chicken sandwich war. Like, who has the best chicken sandwich? The chicken sandwich war, right? Um, that's really not the issue, is it? There will be people tomorrow that will be lined up around every Chick-fil-A in the United States of America. I stopped at one last week just outside of Atlanta. We waited three and a half hours. It was worse than Disney World for an overpriced sandwich. It's really not about that. That success story is really not about the taste of that sandwich. No offense if you work at Chick-fil-A. It's really not about that. It's always about surrender, isn't it? It's about a guy years ago who said, I want to have a whole different model, business model. I'm just going to do what the Lord has called me to do. And we're going to keep the Sabbath as holy. I'm not saying if you have to work on Sunday. I understand people in the medical field, all kinds of different things. Don't send me an email. I understand that. I'm just saying here's a principle. If you want more, success always comes through surrender, not striving. That makes sense? But that goes against everything that we kind of know because we have to completely trust the Lord. Right? Let's look on verse 12. But if you turn away and ally yourself with the survivors of these nations that remain... Among you, and if you intermarry with them and you associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you. Whips on your back and thorns in your eyes, some pain, right? Haven't you been there in your life when you didn't listen? You stepped into an unhealthy association, and then there was some pain that came until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Let's look at the fifth thing that Joshua says. Joshua says this, your associations will determine your destiny. Anytime we talk about this, which we talk about it a lot, there's always a mom that texts me and says, I'm so thankful my middle schooler was here to hear that. Well, your middle school needs to hear it, but mom, so do you, and so do I. Because what Joshua is saying is you have to realize how much your associations matter. And it's so important that we choose, watch this, that we choose our associations. In other words, we align ourselves with people that are headed in the same direction, who love the Lord with all of their heart, soul, and mind, have the same values that come from the Word of God, that we choose associations, we ally ourselves there. Because here's the, here's the deal, and this is a little bit difficult to understand. We'll either choose our associations wisely or we'll risk being picked foolishly. I think that's where most of, most of us find ourselves, the association, the friendships, the partnerships that we were in, somehow, just through circumstance and time, that we were just kind of picked by foolish people and gravitated into some unhealthy associations. Because what Joshua is saying is ultimately this, who you're with, 
tells you where you're headed. And he's at the end of his life. Think about it. I mean, this dude is dying. He's 110 years old. He's seen a thing or two. And he says, I got seven things I'm going to drop on you. And this is one of them. It matters. Do you see that? It matters. Look at verse 14. Now I'm about, Joshua says, now I'm about to, to go the way of all the earth. In other words, I'm dying. You know, with all your heart and soul, not one of these good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. What he is specifically talking about is three main promises. God, 600 years ago in Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15, promised the Hebrew people that one day they would go into the land of Canaan, and they did. God kept his promise. You see that? The second thing the Scripture says is they would take possession of the land. They would drive the inhabitants out. They would break those strongholds there, and God did that. The third thing is they would have an allotment of land. They'd have an inheritance of that land, each of the different tribes. God kept all of those three promises, and they knew it was true. And Joshua says this, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. You know, with all your heart and soul that not one of these good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. So what is... Joshua saying, it's the sixth thing he says in this amazing closing message. He says, only one investment is a sure thing. He says, there's only one thing that you can give yourself fully to that is a sure thing. He says, you know, you standing here is evidence that God keeps his promise. He's saying, there's a lot of promises that are going to be made to you, but there's only one surefire investment. Man, if you knew today that you could invest a certain amount of your money and in five years, I mean, it, was go- it would quadruple. I mean, you'd be in, but nobody can make you that surefire investment opportunity, can they? Nobody can promise you that. There's only one investment that's a sure thing. That's what Joshua's saying. So how do we apply it? Well, let's think about it in these terms. The kingdom of God is a worthy investment of my time, of my talent. Let me say this. I hadn't said this in any of our other services. Let me say this. There are... uh, Multiple churches in a 20-mile radius of where we stand right now that coming out of COVID are, are not going to survive. They're not going to survive. Several of them we are meeting with right now and working diligently, praying, and working hard to put a plan in place for their survival. I believe this. I, I believe in a matter of weeks I'm going to stand before you and I'm going to ask some of you to leave here and go there for the glory of God and for the advancement of the kingdom. And some of you are going to take your family and you're going to give your time and your talents and your resources and something that the enemy would try to take is going to spring to life again. And you're going to look back at the end of your life and say, that was a worthy investment because the kingdom of God is always a worthy investment. It's a sure thing. That's what Joshua is saying. So we give our time, we give our talents, and we give our treasure because it's the only sure investment in life. Look at verse 15 and 16. The music's playing. 
I hadn't looked back there, but it's playing, isn't it? Yeah. What Joshua says at the end of this message, I don't hear anybody today say. I mean, this dude wasn't just courageous in the battlefield. He was courageous in sharing truth. Listen to what he says. Just as all the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you. And everybody said, amen, Joshua. That's right. Preach. So he will bring on you all the evil things he has threatened. And the crowd went silent. Until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. Verse 16, if you violate the covenant of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you, and you go and serve and you bow down to them, these false gods that are in the land, the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly perish from this good land he has given you. What did he just say? I think what Joshua just said is God's faithfulness works both ways. Does that make sense? God's faithfulness works both ways. Does he keep his promise to those who love him? Yes. But does God bring judgment to those who ignore him and reject him? God is faithful to all his promises, good and bad. And here's what Joshua is saying. It's a foolish thing to count on God's promises without ignoring his warnings. Can I say it to you again? Man, it is a foolish thing in my life to count on the promises of God but ignore his warning because God's faithful to all his promises. Now I want to say something that's difficult and it's time to go. But if you miss this, you will leave confused and the enemy will spin you like a top. The day that we live in in Christ is a new covenant. Everything in Scripture is pointing to this day. When Jesus Christ went to the cross 2,000 years ago, One of the things that the Lord said from the cross is, my God, my God, why have you, do you remember, forsaken me? The Father turns his back on the Son in that moment. Why? Because the Son is taking the full sin debt of mankind. He is satisfying the wrath of God for us, for every injustice, for every sin, for every act of disobedience in any way, shape, fashion, or form was heaped upon the Son. God turns away and Jesus pays for that in full. He completely satisfies the wrath of God. And through repentance and faith in Christ, you and I will never, ever face the wrath of God again because Jesus fully satisfied that. Isn't that great news? For the believer, it's great news. But listen, that doesn't mean that we won't experience the discipline of God and the correction of God. 
Because the scripture says the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And that's usually a result of really not believing that God's faithful. Yeah, we believe he's faithful to keep his promise, but we just ignore his warnings. And Joshua says, listen, that's foolish. Can I say something to you today as we close? Looking back over my life, I wonder if I'm like you. I have a lot of regret for not listening to some wise counsel in my past. Anybody else like me? Man, there's been some things that people have stood up and told me, and I didn't do anything with it. I have a lot of regret over that. But it's a new day today, and we sit here at a fresh new moment in time, and we get a chance to listen through the Word of God to seven powerful promises that Joshua shares to the children of Israel some 3,000 years ago, and they are so true for us today. But what will you do with them? For some of you today, compromise has creeped in. And it's time to respond to that in repentance. For some radical changes to take place in your life. For some of you, you think success is about your striving when it's really about surrender. What is God saying today? And are you listening? Father, thank you for this moment in time. Thank you for this powerful message from a man that you used mightily. Thank you for giving us a chance to listen to these words. And now through the power of the Holy Spirit, could we apply them to our lives and begin to walk in greater levels of freedom than ever before. Help us not just to be hearers of the word today, but doers. In Jesus' name, amen.